Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Well, higher learning, let's talk about that because it is in flux. And I'm not talking about the remote part of this, you know, should it be remote or not be remote? I'm talking about what it should and could provide. Because we know we have a mismatch out there and it's getting worse, arguably. We have organizations that say we need labor, but we need labor with the right skills and we need them with the right digital skills. And we also know that those organizations just are having a hard time finding that labor. And we also know that there's lots of students graduating and they do not necessarily have those skills, but they also don't have the skills that they need to help them pay off their debts because they might have amassed fairly hefty debts getting their education. And that would be fine if they could graduate and get jobs that paid them well and they could get on their way of paying back the loans. But that isn't always happening. So if they had the right skills, they would be happier. And if they had the right skills, organizations would be happier. But it's not happening. But can we make it happen? That's what I want to talk to with my guest today. That's what I do talk to with my guest today. His name is Ryan Craig, and he's Managing Director of Achieve Partners, also author of a book called A New You, Faster, Cheaper Alternatives to College. Now, he joined me to talk about what's happening and what's missing from post-secondary education as we know it. He has some ideas about how we can bridge the gap between what we're providing to organizations and what we need to provide and what we can do to help students. So I had a really good conversation with him. It was uh, full of you know, practical ideas and uh, examples of companies that are doing a good job of getting students where they need to be to move the uh, well, to move the business world, to move the labor market forward. And I think you'll find it really worth listening to. So please stay with us. to somewhat normal in terms of college, but is that good enough? Are colleges doing enough to prepare students for the reality of the digital and tech skills they will need? Well, our guest today is Ryan Craig. He's Managing Director at Achieve Partners and author of A New You, Faster, Cheaper Alternatives to College. And he has some interesting ideas about what higher education should be doing for students. He joins me now. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Linda. Good to be with you. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You know, I have a lot of questions about your views on college, higher education, but I always like to start by asking people about their own backgrounds. How did you get to this place where these are the things you're thinking about? Sure. Yeah. I've been in higher education now for 22 years, started my career in the late 90s at Columbia University, where I was helping Columbia think about this new thing called the internet. And I went from there to uh, working uh, for an investment firm, uh, making investments in higher education businesses to launching my own uh, to now for about a decade, having my own private equity firm uh, focused in higher education. Uh, And it was about five, six years ago that we really began to focus more on the intersection of education and employment. We recognized that, yes, higher education was dealing with this crisis of completion, for sure, crisis of affordability, uh, which is on the front page uh, somewhere uh, most days. Uh, and the, the incredible uh, student loan debt that uh, many students are uh, incurring in order to uh, obtain a degree. Uh, but all that would be, would, would be fine uh, if uh, everyone graduated from college into a $60,000 a year job. Uh, they'd be able to afford that level of student loan debt. But 
The real challenge is that uh, something close to 50% of all students are graduating into underemployment, which means they're uh, taking a job that uh, they uh, didn't need the degree for and probably could have gotten uh, without the investment of time and uh, expense and debt. Uh, and so uh, really beginning to look at that intersection of education and employment. Uh, and that's where uh, a lot of our work is now is now focused. I'd like to come back to that, but let's just talk a bit about the pandemic and higher education, because that's the crisis they've been dealing with for the last two years. Have you been impressed by how institutions have stepped up to this? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's it's, uh, I, you know, I mean, uh, in terms of responding to an emergency situation and continuing to uh, make sure that uh, their tuition revenue continues unabated. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, if that's impressive, but the reality of what students uh, uh, who uh, were remote last year uh, had to deal with uh, and the value they got for their money uh, was not impressive uh, at all. Uh, this was not uh, uh, designed uh, online learning uh, with sort of well thought out instructional design. Uh, this was um, uh, sort of an emergency um, stopgap solution uh, where classes were held on Zoom. Uh, and not much thought was going into uh, or could have gone into uh, whether students were actually uh, learning uh, or whether the experience was comparable to what they would have gotten uh, on campus. So I think a lot of students were unhappy, uh, rightly so, and there were hundreds of lawsuits uh, filed <laughs> against colleges. And, you know, the best, the, the best argument is that uh, what they were paying for, of course, when they pay tuition, they're paying for a bundle of services that include uh, athletics and libraries and campus life and so forth. And they had none of that. Um, and I think that the, the pandemic is, is, is simply going to accelerate uh, something I've been writing about for years, which is the unbundling uh, of higher education. A degree is a bundle. It's a bundle of about 50 different things you know, that you're paying for. It's not just classes. Uh, it's, it's a bundle. Uh, and uh, that bundle is why they can charge what they charge. Uh, and if you actually unbundled it, like for example, we've seen you know the unbundling of music or the unbundling of television, uh, you end up paying less uh, because you're buying what you need. And increasingly, what we're seeing is that what you need uh, and what most people want uh, is they they think of higher education as a pathway to a good first job. Uh, and increasingly, uh, first jobs are focused on specific tech or platform skills and business knowledge uh, that very few colleges and universities actually teach. Uh, and so there's a big disconnect between what higher education is doing uh, and what uh, the world of employment is expecting. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because obviously there's lots of people who are taking courses in tech. You think this should be widespread, that all disciplines should have more tech prep for the world? Well, there's actually, if you look at uh, what colleges and universities offer, yes, they have computer science degrees, uh, but they're not teaching, by and large, the skills that employers are looking for. So, you know, if you were to if you were to characterize your typical entry level job that a good a good entry level job that a college graduate wants, uh, that that job is probably best characterized as you're using one or more SaaS platforms, software platforms, uh, to manage a business function. Uh, and very few colleges and universities are training on those platforms uh, or providing any education whatsoever on those businesses. Uh, so it's really hard. So a good example is Salesforce. 
Salesforce, there are probably 300,000 open jobs uh, in the US today. We've canvassed uh, every college and university in the country. There are probably fewer than 20 that provide courses on Salesforce. That's a problem. <laughs> okay. So, but, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just, I think that, you know, when, when, when most people think tech, they think, oh, computer science, they think coding, but tech is pervasive. Uh, almost all jobs involve uh, not just usage, but mastery uh, of software. Uh, and some of the software, and I, I know a lot of people will say, well, look, these are, these are, you know, it's generation, these are millennials or generation Z, they're digital natives. Uh, they grew up knowing how to use these things. But the reality is these platforms are insanely complicated. So Epic, for example, which is the leading electronic medical record system in hospitals, it takes, you know, probably a hundred hours of training to become proficient uh, on the Epic platform. And it takes thousands of hours of training to become an Epic certified analyst, which you need to do in order to configure these platforms and integrate them with the hundreds of other systems that hospitals have. There's not one college or university in America that provides training or coursework on Epic. And there are probably 50,000 open jobs right now for Epic certified analysts. So that's the gap. And we don't typically think of that when we think about uh, the, the, the tech skills gap, uh, but there it is. You know, every, uh, every uh, a horizontal function uh, within a within an enterprise, you know, marketing, digital marketing, sales, uh, in insurance companies, claims uh, uh, claims management, they rely on software platforms. We've effectively, you know, the 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 business process business processes have been virtualized, digitized, uh, and if you don't know how to use the, that software, there are very few employers who are going to hire you for those positions. Uh, employers have become much less patient and much less willing to invest in entry-level training. They want okay, the that's, perfect- that's the problem there though, because I, I, sorry to interrupt, but like, this is something I hear a lot, that companies don't want to put the time in, which is something they used to do. They used to put the time and the money into this and yeah. that has shifted. So are we blaming the colleges here or are we blaming business? Look, I mean, I, I like to quote Donald Rumsfeld. He wasn't my favorite secretary of defense, but you kind of go to war with the army you have, not the army you wish to have. So college and universities, I've heard this a lot from college and universities. Yes, it's employer's fault. But what are you going to do about it, right? I mean, employers are going to do what they're going to do, right? They have a hundred other priorities than to worry about entry-level talent or training. So are, they going to, are we going to wait for them to change? Or are we going to do a better job for the consumers who are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for our products, hoping that they're going to get a good job at the end? So my view is that, you know, and this term we've coined last mile training to reflect the combination of digital skills and business training that employers are expecting, that should be baked into every degree and certificate program that a higher education institution is offering. If you're not doing that, you're committing malpractice because your graduates are not going to get, not only are they not going to get good jobs, they're not even going to be visible for these jobs because they're going to apply for these jobs. They're not going to have these skills on their resume and they're going to be screened out by applicant tracking systems that are uh, keyword-based and they're going to be looking for these keywords on their resumes and they're not going to find them. So they're not going to be visible to hiring managers. So you don't even have a chance. So you're talking about uh, degrees. Well, we're talking about somebody who gets a degree in computer science, right? Not somebody who gets a degree in English. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, we absolutely in yeah. English. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, it, you know, th- there's, there's, you know, I've written extensively about how uh, humanities and social sciences, they need to begin prior- figuring out how to integrate these skills into their coursework. And that's hard to do, right? It's not, it's not obvious how you're going to do that, but they need to figure it out because they're graduating students uh, who have a lot of debt. And they're just not able to get uh, good entry-level jobs. And we know that if you're underemployed in your first job, 
Two thirds of the time, you'll be underemployed five years later. Half the time, you'll be underemployed a decade later. So it's not just acute, it's pervasive. You're really starting these, 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 these young new graduates off on the wrong foot. So it's no wonder to me that you know, in a poll a few years ago, you know, more millennials uh, believed in Marxism than they did in, in capitalism. It's not working for them. Uh, and it's not working because the world, because technology and digital transformation has changed the world of employment and higher education has not kept up. I, I think that colleges and universities are doing a pretty good job. They're doing as good a job as they've ever done at equipping students with the cognitive skills, critical thinking skills, problem solving skills that they're going to need to be successful in the long run. The problem is they don't, they don't have the skills to be successful in the, in the short run. It's a sales job, though, to talk to students about this because somebody who's taking a degree in English or history or whatever doesn't really want to know a whole lot about Google AdWords. Maybe two years after graduation when they can't get a job, they'd be more open to it. But coming in, I'm not sure you know, what reception you get for that. No, I think that if you actually offer these programs, you get great reception uh, and, ex- and explain to them. The problem is the programs aren't available. Okay, I mean, so- we, 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 we invest in companies that offer these, these tra- effectively apprenticeship programs. We have 100 applicants for every open seat in these programs, in Salesforce, in cybersecurity, in um, software development, uh, in data analytics. Uh, and these are the same students who were you know, otherwise enrolling in English and history programs at colleges and universities, but they just don't have access to these alternative pathways. So we need to build the pathways, make them available. Uh, and, and again, um, uh, students will, will, will come. Okay, you've wrote in the Harvard Business Review uh, recently about a couple of approaches you've seen that you liked. Tell us about one of them. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, so one way uh, we can do a better job of um, integrating these kinds of skills uh, and experiences uh, into a traditional college program is through what's called work-integrated learning. Uh, and work-integrated learning is, um, you know, another, uh, it's also known as sort of a co-op program approach where you're actually doing work uh, for a real employer. Uh, while you're uh, while while you're in school, um, that's hard for your typical college to do because it involves uh, uh, connecting with hundreds of employers. But there are these new marketplaces uh, that we see uh, that are uh, online and have thousands of or tens of thousands of employers posting uh, projects that then colleges and universities and faculty in particular can select and say, "I want to incorporate this as a capstone." experience, a capstone project in my course. Uh, and so the one that uh, we're involved with is called Ripen. That's R-I-I-P-E-N. Uh, and Ripen is exactly that. It's a marketplace where you're connecting faculty uh, with uh, real uh, work from real employers. And so faculty can make those uh, projects available to students and students can get that uh, essential work experience as part of their uh, program. So it is, you know, it's, again, it's not, it's not just the gap is not only about the training. Uh, there are very few employers who are going to hire a newly certified Salesforce administrator who has no actual work experience. <laughs> so it's turned, you know, there, there are lots of entry-level jobs uh, that are kind of oxymorons, uh, if you will, because, you know, if you don't have experience, how are you going to get that job? There was a study that came out a few months ago that showed that your typical, quote-unquote, entry-level cybersecurity job ask for you know so many different certifications and skills that it's effectively asking for three years of experience. Uh, and so one solution is work integrated learning to make sure that students before they graduate are actually getting that work experience uh, so that they're, uh, they're able to be hired. And look, I agree with you. Employers are at fault here. Employers have become much pickier. Um, but you know, on the, what employers would say is that uh, your typical college grad who enters a, a new job 
leaves uh, in, in about two years. Uh, and the cost of bad hires is just so high now that employers, uh, they don't want to hire, they don't want to invest in training because, uh, you know, I, I probably won't benefit, but my, you know, competitor will benefit when they poach my employee that I've trained. Uh, and, uh, they, they kind of want the perfectly trained, ready to go, ready to be productive on day one employee or they won't hire. So that's one big reason why we have 10.4 million open unfilled jobs. It is, but, but there's also another model, which you're seeing a little bit more, which is the idea you're going to train a labor force. And you see some companies making some of these training programs uh, available, Google or wherever else, you know, so anyone can use it. And the idea is, yeah, no, 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 that's, that's, that's different. I mean, that, those are big tech companies that are just simply uh, making uh, asynchronous online courses uh, available um, because they need to, because yeah, if, they they, if no one, if no one knows how to use their systems, uh, but that's that's different from actually actually providing uh, a valuable training and work experience. Um, nobody's going to get hired uh, because they completed an asynchronous online Google uh, certificate uh, that that Google's making available. So I I, I kind of give those short short trip. Uh, but you know there there are there are new what what I call higher trained deploy models that are emerging that leverage that training. Uh, and actually hire uh, unproven talent and give them those work experiences, then ultimately place them at clients, effectively apprenticeship type programs. So we we think we're on the sort of verge of a, when I talk about uh, faster and cheaper alternatives to college, the primary alternative is going to be apprenticeship, uh, where you're going to have uh, employers who are investing uh, in talent because that's part of their business. They're building a business around providing talent to their clients. We call that talent as a service. Okay, so when we look at this and we say we have to change things up going forward, who do you think needs to lead it? Well, I think the government could do a lot uh, here. Uh, I just wrote a white paper on uh, a new sort of pay for performance um, initiative uh, where the government uh, should uh, emulate what we've seen in the UK and Australia and actually pay intermediaries to hire, train, uh, and place uh, new, diverse, unproven workers uh, in jobs uh, that meet certain criteria in terms of salary and benefits and career opportunities. Uh, but right now, you know, all, we're spending $100 billion a year uh, on subsidizing post-secondary education uh, through colleges and universities with no guarantee uh, outcomes. We should start funding outcomes. If what we're trying to focus on is economic opportunity and socioeconomic mobility, and we should be because it's, it's a huge problem, in our country, and I'm convinced at the root of much of what we're seeing in terms of the sort of social and even political uh, turmoil over the last decade, the perceived lack of economic opportunity and socioeconomic mobility, we should we should be willing to compensate intermediaries who take a risk uh, on hiring and training uh, unproven talent and are able to successfully place them uh, in careers. Um, and so it's a different way of thinking about it, uh, but uh, I'm convinced that ultimately we're gonna we're gonna get there. Ryan, thanks so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. Ryan Craig is Managing Director at Achieve Partners and author of A New You, Faster, Cheaper Alternatives to College. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Ryan and the things he talked about, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. Now, if you did enjoy this discussion about the future of work and education and the issues we're covering in this podcast, please take a moment and subscribe. 
And as well, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find podcasts. And if they do, it'll really help us continue these discussions around the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.